When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Rum Buncher Radio. We are back for episode number five, but more importantly, baseball is coming back. July 23rd and 24th, Spring Training 2.0 is set to begin on July 1st. Trey Yannity, Marty Leap here. As always, we are joined tonight by staff writer Noah Wright. Noah, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, it is finally here. The decision has been made. How about this last week for Major League Baseball? Yeah, it's fun to finally have some baseball back soon with spring training starting soon. It's weird to call it spring training when it's starting in July, isn't it? Yeah, it'll it'll be different, but like you said, it'll be nice to have it back. Um, obviously, a lot of us have been waiting for this for a long time. There's been a lot of points where it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, but knock on wood, so far so good. You know, the big test is going to be when games start. What do they do when players test positive for the coronavirus? But it's very much a we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Right now, I'm just going to live in the world of optimism and keep telling myself that we're going to get the 60-game season and we're going to get the postseason in without too many hurdles. Yeah, I'm just happy we're finally getting a season going, but I'm hoping that we don't face too many issues like Marty said, and hopefully we get all 60 of those games in for uh, the year. And I think optimistic is a, is a fun word to use because about even a week ago, there was no optimism. You know, there was no, it, it almost seemed like everybody had given up. The owners, the players weren't willing to compromise. Even the commissioner wasn't willing to step in and, and make, you know, a, a, a final statement. But now, gentlemen, we have baseball. It's coming and it's coming fast. And like you said, Noah, only 60 games. Let's talk about that first and foremost. 60 games. That's that's uh, not very many. I'll, I think if you ask me, anything can happen in 60 games. You look at last year with the Pirates. At I think they were 28-28 and 28 at the end of May, and that was after an eight-game losing streak. You're talking about that if they went 4-4 four and four or even just won two of those games, they're above 500 team, and 
potentially in a wild card race. Yeah, it's 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 going to be wild, and I think the NL Central has the potential to be one of the more wild divisions. Um, Fangraphs had their updated uh, win totals the other day. If I remember correctly, I think it was the Cardinals had third. They projected a thirty-two wins, and then. It was Milwaukee, Chicago, and Cincinnati were all at 31, and they had the Pirates, I think, 29. Either 28 or 29 wins. So you know, this division is going to be wild, and it, all it takes is in the shortened season, if you have a hot 10, 20-game stretch, so you put together a 15-5 and five run, you know, that would be the equivalent to going like 40-10 and 10 over a 50-game stretch during your normal season. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that there's going to be at least one team, you know, whether it be the Pirates, the Detroit Tigers, the Miami Marlins, someone who was not expected to be any good this year, just start hot and have a good 30, 35 game stretch and find themselves potentially sneaking into the postseason. Now, I'm not saying the Pirates will do that. I'm just saying I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see a team that was projected to lose 80, 85, 90 games this year wind up sneaking in because all it takes is, you know, you get hot for a month, month and a half, and that's the majority of the season. And at that point, you're in that position to compete. Yeah, you're only talking about two weeks of gameplay, and all, all it takes, like you said, is a good month or a month or a half. You could do, do really good for two weeks, and that might slingshot you enough to put you into talks of making a possible wild card or even a run for the division, depending on how other teams are doing. And I think that 60 games is just the beginning of of how wacky this little stretch of baseball is going to be. I mean, if you think about it, in years past, the Pirates have been incredibly hot, like you gentlemen are talking about, at the beginning of the year. And it only takes just that one little streak to get this team in a position where we're legitimately talking about a postseason. Let's talk about some other details, though, before we even get in to opening day. Like you said, Marty... What happens when a player tests positive? Five Colorado Rockies have already tested positive for COVID-19. It's almost a guarantee that other players are going to contract the virus as we proceed, just naturally being around other people. But, but what do we do in that situation when we cross that bridge once players begin to contract this virus in season? Well, I know one thing baseball put in this year is they're going to have a special injured list designation for players who test positive for the coronavirus. Um, there's going to be no set. It's not going to be like the 10 day injured list or the 60 day, which will this year it's going to be the 45 day where you have to spend this much time out. It's going to be very flexible. I think it's going to be, I'm sure when a player tests positive, they're going to have to wait at least 10 days to get tested again to see where things are at before they could potentially return. Now, knock on wood, Derek Shelton was on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh yesterday. And while he did say they don't have all the results back yet, he said as of yesterday, no Pirate players or coaches had tested positive. So hopefully, you know, that will – if they all come back clean, you'd like to think that everyone should be good to go at the start of the regular season because between now and then, other than their family members who I'm assuming they're going to ask to do their best to try and stay out of public during the season and their other teammates are not really going to be around anybody. But I think baseball putting in that designation on the injured list this year for COVID-19 is going to be something to watch because like we said, players are going to test positive. It is inevitable. And again, that could 
be something where this year, you know, when it comes time for the postseason, the teams who make the postseason might not necessarily be the best teams. It might just be the teams that were hit the least hardest by the coronavirus. Because, I mean, let's say you have a team where one player gets it and it spreads through the locker room, where even if none of these players are symptomatic, if they're testing positive, they're not going to be able to play. So you could potentially find a situation where – you are having a lineup one night where it's all triple-A batters or something like that because your major league roster got hit by the coronavirus. It's it's going to be different. It's going to be wild. Um, it's going to take a lot of work from Major League Baseball and these guys to keep each other as healthy as possible. But I'm sure they have a ton of protocols in place for this. If they didn't, the players never would have agreed to the health and safety protocols the owners put forward. So I'm sure they have their plans in place, but it's definitely going to be interesting to watch because – you've never had a season before where you had something like the coronavirus that could just really just ravage a roster and impact a season this way like we have now. So it's going to be fascinating to watch how various teams handle this. And not to – I don't want to ramble on too long here, but just real quickly to circle back to the original spring training back in February and March, I remember, you know, your John Hammonds, Jason Starks world saying if there was a world series award to go out for which team was best prepared to handle the coronavirus, it was the pirates. They said about all the steps the pirates were taking back then before spring training was shut down, keep places clean, keep players healthy, things of that nature. So hopefully you know, that will continue into the season and the Pirates will stay relatively healthy. You know, Marty, how you're talking about how it can completely change a season with a player getting the virus. You look at the Rockies, Charlie Blackman has already tested positive for it. And look how big of an impact he's made for their team and their lineup the last few years. I mean, that could completely change the trajectory of the Rockies season. You know, he's last few years, he's been hit. He's had like 25, 30 some home runs. He's been a huge contributor with the bat. I mean, that there is going to really impact how the Rockies structure their lineup, depending on how long he's out. And hopefully that doesn't happen with the Pirates or any other team, really, because it's going to really impact how teams of teams play out games, set up their roster, set up their lineups and whatnot. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's going to be really interesting to just see who you know, comes down with this virus and, you know, like you guys are talking about, it's really going to have a huge impact on how things go because you miss two weeks because of the virus. Well, that, you know, that's right there, maybe 14 or 15 games, which has become a significant part of the regular season in 2020. Let's get off the negatives though. Let's talk about some of the fun, exciting things that are going to come with a 60 day season and and a lot of the rules that are going to be enacted for this weird, wacky MLB year of 2020. One of the most fun, and I think the most interesting, is the universal DH. Marty, you posted an article earlier today about how the Pirates are going to use this position to their advantage. What is this going to do for not only the Pirates, but for for all of baseball now that both leagues are going to have the designated hitter? Yeah, I'll be very curious to see where the Pirates go with this. I mean, obviously, the no-brainer decision is you put Josh Bell as your DH. I mean, Bell's one of the best bats in the league, but we all know he struggles a lot with the glove. Um, Like you said, Trey, I wrote a little bit about that today. And, you know, last year his defensive run saved was negative 13. His outs above average was, I believe, minus 8 or 9. Just horrible defense. And that's nothing against Josh because I know he busts his butt to get better over there. But – 
I think the no-brainer is you put him at DH, and then you have Jose Ozuna, who is an above-average defender at first. You have Will Craig, who won a minor league gold glove last year at first. So you have options. But I, I also brought up some outside-of-the-box ideas. You know, maybe make Adam Frazier your DH in an effort to improve the infield defense as a whole because you can slide Kevin Newman to second base where he's better suited and you can put Cole Tucker at short where Tucker would probably be a legitimate gold glove candidate if he played an entire season. Or even if they really wanted to have some fun with it and really go wild, you know, call up O'Neill Cruz, let him DH and just see what he does with the bat instead of letting him sit for a year and have a lost season. But, I mean, push come to shove, I'm assuming Bell will be the DH. And I just hope that this is something that is here to stay. I know not everyone feels this way, but, man, I I, I can't stand watching pitchers hit. I, I, I'm not – when I turn on a baseball game, I don't want to watch position players pitch. I don't want to watch pitchers hit. I want to watch guys do what they're good at. And it irks me when it's the seventh inning and it's a one nothing game and this starting pitcher throwing a gem gets pulled because the offense can't do their job and the bullpen blows it. Like, I just – I can't stand it, and I just hope the DH is here to stay. I think it is, but yeah, it'll be a lot different this year having the DH in both leagues. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. It'll also be interesting to watch how the DH impacts like Bell, because I mean, he was a little bit fatigued by the end of the year last year, and with not only the shortened season, he's not gonna have to work so much on his glove work through through the entire year. He's gotta be DH a lot. Hopefully, that means that he'll keep up that production that we saw early in the, in the first half last year where he seemed like unstoppable in the batter's box, to put it simply. It was outstanding to see what he could do in the first half last year, hopefully with him getting more rest with the DH and a shortened season to keep rested. Maybe we see Josh Bell have keep up that entire, that performance that we saw at the beginning of last year for the entire season. It is 60 games after all. And, Look how good he did in those first 60 games last year. Yeah, to build off that real quick, Noah, I I think a big factor there too is I know Josh spends a lot of time working on his defense. Well, if he's not playing in the field, that time he's spending working on his defense can just be spent even further in the cages, perfecting his swing, getting his toe tap down where he wants it. All of that. So I think that's a factor as well, where not only, like you said, with the fatigue where he's not playing in the field, but at the same time, he can put even more focus and spend even more time working on that offense and really becoming even more of a threat with the bat than he already is. And, you know, as we all know, he is one of the bigger threats of the bat in the league. And you said about his hot start last year. I have it here in front of me. Through his first 60 games last season, Bell hit for a 338, 398, 692 slash line with 18 home runs, an 18% extra base hit rate, a 355 ISO, and 174 WRC+. plus. So he was just on another level. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's insane what he did through those first 60 games. And again, to go back to the short season, you know, if you get that kind of production from Josh Bell through 60 games this year, there's a reason why the Pirates were right in the thick of the National League Central through the first 60 games last year. You know, a big part of it was what Bell was doing. So if you get Bell to do that for a full season this year, with it only being 60 games again, you're probably going to be right there in the thick of things in this division until the end. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, maybe right now traditionalists everywhere are, are upset if they're listening, but I'm with you, Marty. It's just kind of ridiculous to be in a situation where maybe you have runners on second and third, 
even in like the fourth inning and your only option is to send the pitcher to bat, well, there goes that inning and maybe a chance to to give yourself an early lead or there's a hundred situations where it's ridiculous to have a pitcher hit. So I think this change is going to be amazing to watch. And for guys like Josh Bell, this is a chance to become, you know, even better at what they're good at. And that's hitting in his case, but all things considered 60 games, the universal DH, how they're going to get paid and everything else, spring training 2.0. I think the big underlying question that everybody in baseball is wondering Once this season's over and we have a World Series champion, is that World Series tainted? Do we have to put an asterisk up next to that team's name because they won the 2020 World Series, a year that only had 60 regular season games and all of these other crazy new caveats? Listen, I can tell you right now, the Pirates won the World Series this year. I'm not putting any asterisks next to it. Another team (laughs) can't make any problems. The Pirates win it. I will stay in our mountain. It's the most valid World Series in the history of baseball. I would definitely be extremely happy if the Pirates made the World Series, and I also would not put any asterisks by it. <laughs> I'm with you guys, too. I think a World Series is a World Series, especially in Pittsburgh, because any way it gets done it is is more than successful and counts just the same as every other World Series. But I think there's, you know, there is a good deal of argument out there that this season, you know, the winner is going to be looked at a little bit differently. And I think... You know, there is an argument to that point as well. But if you win the World Series, you win the World Series. But let's talk about an event that happened just a week ago when we thought that there might not be any regular season baseball this year. The 2020 MLB draft, we had all kinds of preview coverage. We had our draft special the last time we met here on Rum Bunter Radio. Let's break it down now, gentlemen. Unfortunately, we are not uh, joined by Nick Caparoso our other hosts, as well as David Slusser, who gave you their picks. But you gentlemen uh, are more than qualified to to give us the rundown. Nick Gonzalez being the first round pick. Personally, I think that was the best option. Uh, you, you know, after seven, it really felt like there was a drop off in talent to an extent. But I think Nick Gonzalez is, is a huge draft. And I think he's going to be doing big things in Pittsburgh. What was your guys take on that first round? Yeah, I, I loved the Gonzalez pick at number seven. Um, I think an argument could be made that Gonzalez was the best all-around college hitter in this draft. I think he's a guy who can climb through the minors very quickly, make a very early impact at the major league level. Personally, I did not expect him to fall to seven. I thought he was a top three to five draft talent. So when he fell to seven, it was a no-brainer for the Bucs to take him. So I I love the pick. I I know some people kind of scribbled about it because the Pirates already have so many middle infield prospects in their system. But it's one of those things in baseball, you take the best player available and you figure it out later. I mean, if your big issue is you have too many major league quality shortstops on your roster, that's a hell of an issue to have because teams are going to trade pieces away, high quality pieces to find help a shortstop. So it's, it, I just I thought it was a great pick. He, he was by far the best player available at seven. I mean, like I said, I think he's one of the three to five best players in the draft. And I think whenever the Pirates got on the clock and he was still sitting there at seven, Ben Charrington and Derek Shelton and company had to be smiling ear to ear. Yeah, I also thought that their pick with Nick Gonzalez was a really good choice there. I mean, you look at his numbers from college, you got some pretty good numbers. You got he's been hitting for power, he's hitting for average. He gets on base a lot, he walks, and he's not that bad defensively with all things considered at second base. He can, he's also played a little bit of shortstop. Him moving over second base, he'll be able to handle that fine. But yeah, 
yeah, Mario, like you said, I mean, is it really an issue when you have so many different good middle infield prospects? You look at, you have Cole Tucker, Piguero, O'Neill Cruz, who will probably move to right field eventually, but still very, very talented infield prospect right now. And then on the major league roster, you have Newman and Frazier. I mean, at some, I mean, at the very, the very worst possible scenario is that eventually they'll have to trade some of these pieces for what would probably be good major league, major league ready players or major league proven players. Yeah, and one other thing I really liked about Gonzalez, and this was something that the Pirates seemed to value in this draft, and I don't know how much of it was because you didn't have your normal valuations this spring with college baseball having been shut down or if this is going to become a trend for Charrington. But he really put a lot of emphasis on the Cape Cod League. And Gonzalez was the Cape Cod League MVP last year. And as we will get to as we work with the draft here, Gonzalez was not the only player the Pirates drafted who had success in the Cape Cod League last year. So, I again, I don't know if that's going to become a trend with Charrington, if that stems back to not having the normal spring evaluation period this year. But, again, to see someone who leads the NCAA in batting and then goes and wins the Cape Cod League, Cape Cod League excuse me, MVP, fall to number seven in the draft, that's not something you would expect to happen. So the Pirates definitely seem to get a little bit of a steal with Gonzalez still being there on the board at seven. Right. And I mean, you know, you heard so many people talking about after the Pirates made that selection and the the Majinski selection in the second round, we'll get to in just a second, about how the Pirates went in and got the two guys from the Cape that really made the most improvement, that really showed out. It's crazy to, to think that Gonzalez slid to seven, you know, when there was a good deal of mock drafts having Gonzalez go in the top three, the top four. So I think for the Pirates, it was a huge pick. Uh, you know, maybe a hair reservation about the fact that he was playing in a very highly elevated state um, that that may have had an effect on some of his numbers. But like we've been talking about, he he went crazy in the Cape. So I don't think there's any concern there. Let's get into that second round pick. The Pirates went with an arm as expected, you know, early on in this draft. It was Carmen Majinski from the University of South Carolina, another guy uh, who's got a projectable body. Um, I love the picket at number 33. I was, it was, I believe. Um, what do you guys feel about the second round pick? Was, was Majinski the right move there? Yeah, I, I liked the Majinski pick. Um, again, like you said, he was a guy who did great in the Cape last year. Uh, the, the best results he has had between college and the Cape was in the Cape. And I think a lot of that probably results from getting a little bit better pitching or pitching coaching results from getting better coaching Excuse me, because if if you go back and read some reports on him last summer pitching in the Cape Cod League, it mentioned how he was repeating his delivery more often and it was smoother than it had been in college. And a lot of times that is going to send back to a pit to a issues with your pitching coach. So if you're getting higher quality coaching, you expect those things to happen. Um after the draft, well, actually, I think this may have been on draft night as the pick was made. Nick and I were talking to some industry sources of ours that we know that so they had spoken with some teams who felt Majinski could potentially be a top 10 pick. So a lot of teams in the league thought very highly of him. Wow. Yeah, and that, that really kind of 
perked our ears when Nick and I heard that. And uh, also real quick with Nick, let me mention he's not here because he is getting ready to get married this weekend. My wife and I are both in his wedding. We were both very excited to go down there and celebrate it with him. I just want to give a big congratulations to him and his fiance, Lauren. We we're very excited for them in case you're wondering where he is at. But yeah, whenever we, uh, whenever we found that out, the teams had Majinski raised as high as the top 10 pick. We, uh, Really, I mean, I like to pick beforehand anyway, but once you find out that kind of information, it really makes you appreciate that. Yeah, when you're able to get a pick that's considered by a lot of people, how high, highly rated he was, you you got to take advantage of that and pick him with what where, where they picked him uh, late in the first round. And I, even though his numbers aren't the greatest or anything, like you said, it could be with the coaching and stuff, but... I think that Majinski could be a really, really good starting pitcher of the future for the Pirates. And you look at the pi- the rest, and he adds to another long list of Pirates process start or pitching prospects. With Ke- you got Keller, they got Malone and uh, Bolton, they all, and uh, T- Tomas. The, the Pirates just have a lot of really good and really interesting starting pitching prospects that I'm looking. I am really looking forward to seeing eventually. No doubt about it, and forgive us if we are butchering Majinski's last name. Not 100% sure how that uh, those letters combine to make Majinski, but if that's the worst thing about the guy, then we're going to have um, some great memories with him when he gets to Pittsburgh. Let's get to the rest of the draft here. Um, you know, obviously, as you get into the third, the fourth, the fifth round, this year it was only five, um, the names start to become a little less talked about a little less uh, well-known. But for the Pirates, all of these picks mean just the same. And we dived into it last time. I believe uh, David did bring up Logan Hoffman in the later rounds, which was incredibly impressive because the Pirates did end up going with him. But let's talk about uh, maybe Jones and, and Hartman and, and these middle round picks. And kind of at this point in the draft, did you guys start to notice a certain strategy that Ben Charrington and his staff were following. Well, as the draft was going on, one thing I noticed I liked, it seemed like they were putting a lot of emphasis on pitching is if you look at the Pirates farm system coming into the draft, you know, you had your key Brian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz, Travis Swaggerty. Most of your top prospects were hitting prospects. Yes, you have Mitch Keller, but at this point, even though technically Keller still has prospect status, he's not a prospect. He's going to be on the major league club this year. And after that, you have Cody Bolden and Quinn, Quinn Priester. But there's a lot of question marks behind that. I mean, you have Brendan Malone, who Charrington also acquired this offseason. And there's no reference earlier. You have Tomas. But you can see they're putting emphasis on pitching, which I liked. I really liked the Jared Jones pick. I mean, the spin rate on his pitches are just ridiculous. If you go back and look on the site, we have an article up from a week ago breaking down the Pirates draft and grading it out where we go into some more detail on some of the spin rates. And I think Jones is a kid who, once he does start pitching professionally next year, you're going to see him very quickly become a top 100 prospect, in my opinion. And another guy that I think kind of gets overlooked in this draft is fourth-round pick Nick Garcia out of Chapman University. I I know there were teams who had Garcia as a first-round talent going into this thing. So the Pirates to be able to acquire him in the fourth round – I just really like what they did with their pitching and the farm system. And if you go look way down, I'm talking like Gulf Coast League, low A, all of a sudden you have one heck of a uh, quartet of pitching prospects down there with Malone, Tomas, 
Priester and Jared Jones. So, you know, three, four years down the road, I mean, even if two of those four guys hit, that's going to give you one heck of a rotation down the road. So the Pirates have really set themselves up for success in the long haul with the young pitching Charrington has been able to add the farm system, not just in this draft, but also dating back to the offseason with the Starling Marte trade. Yeah, I'm, I was also high on the uh, Jones selection too. His spin rate is really impressive, like you said, and spin rate something that a lot of a lot of front offices look at when evaluating pitchers because of just how important it can be in seeing how good their pitches can be in the future. But with him being like you like you said earlier, somebody who could have won in the first round, it was with like uh, Majinski. You you gotta take advantage of that when the opportunity arises because it's you just don't always get that in a draft. Yeah, and speaking of spin rates, I know Dave has the numbers on these ones for Logan Hoffman, who he absolutely loves, and we just had some snags this week when we tried to record where we couldn't get a night to work with everybody. So Dave will be back on the podcast at some point to talk more about this. But I, I know Hoffman's got some pretty ridiculous spin rate on his pitches as well. I mean, there's a reason why he had a 0.00 ERA in 28 innings of work before the college season was shut down. I mean, 28 innings, no earned runs allowed, 38 strikeouts. That's that's pretty impressive. I don't, I don't care what kind of competition you're pitching against. It doesn't matter if it's high school, Little League, college. If you pitch 28 innings, strike out 38 guys, and don't give up an earned run, you're doing something right. You've got some serious talent. So I'm very high on Hoffman. I think you could definitely see him as a potential just hammer of a bullpen arm one day. And same with Jack Hartman out of Appalachian State. He's another guy who I think can be a very good back end of the bullpen arm for this team. And I really liked that in this draft, too, in addition to going pitching heavy, that Charrington took a lot of college arms. I mean, all their picks except for one were college pitchers or batters with Gonzalez. But if you look at the Pirates' farm system, it's very bottom-heavy right now. I mean, you have Keller in the major leagues. You have Key Brian Hayes, who's a triple-A, knocking on the door, going to reach the major leagues this year. But after that, a lot of your top prospects, I mean, O'Neill Cruz is still a double-A. You have your Malones, your Priesters, your Swaggerties who are an A-ball. This system kind of needed a shot in the arm in terms of the upper half of the minors in, in prospect talent. Now, obviously, none of these college guys are going to jump right to double-A or triple-A or anything like that next year. But they're guys who can climb through the system quickly and kind of help bridge that gap more where if you have a farm system like the Pirates, where you're very bottom-heavy in terms of where the majority of your top talent's at, if you add college players, you know, in – Two years or so when they're in the major leagues, a lot of those guys that you have now in the Gulf Coast League and in A-ball still aren't going to be the majors yet. So this kind of helps bridge that gap to where they were lacking a lot of high-end prospect talent at the AAA level. Yeah, and you are all you were talking about Logan Hoffman. I thought he was a really good pick. You, you don't give up no home runs in almost 30 innings with just luck. I mean, he was fantastic with that. He struck out tons of batters, like you said. But what I was most impressed by is that not only was he striking out so many batters, but he only walked five and had a 1.6, I think, uh, walks per nine, which was something that really impressed me when I looked over when I looked over Hoffman when they drafted him. Numbers backing up these players, I think, is just such a such a point of confidence because 
you know, there is numbers to go look at and, and, and feel good about. And with Gonzalez, especially, like you said, Marty, this is a guy that we could see on the big league club, you know, maybe within two years, three years. So uh, I think an excellent draft and, and really, um, you know, uh, it's going to be fun to see kind of how this team evolves with the new regime of Ben Charrington. We have a draft under the belt now and a good one um, at, at that. That is all the time that we have for this episode of Rum Bunter Radio. Thank you for joining us. It has been a packed one. We are going to have even more for you next time as we continue to find out more about the start of baseball. But hey, at least we have something. My name is Trey Anity. I am joined as always by Marty Leap and this week by staff writer Noah Wright. He has a great article about the future of right field out now on rumbunter.com. Go check it out, guys, and the rest of his stuff. An incredible writer and an incredible guest for this evening. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back with you next week. As always, on fansided.com slash rumbunter. You can find us on our social media as well as speaker.com. As always, let's go Bucks. Have a great week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.